This podcast is brought to you by the Voinovich School of Leadership and Public Affairs at Ohio University. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Jazzed About Work, where we talk about everything that might have an impact on your career. I'm your host, Bev Jones, author of Find Your Happy at Work. Today, we'll explore a free personal assessment that may help you to better understand your ideal career path. Our guest is author and media innovator, Jonathan Fields. He'll talk about his new book, Spark, Discover Your Unique Imprint for Work That Makes You Come Alive. The book explains this interesting assessment and inspires you to give it a try. Jonathan is sometimes known as the Good Life Guy, and he'll talk about the Good Life Project. It's a media community and a community-building platform and the home for his popular podcast of the same name. Jonathan, here on Jazzed About Work, we often like to start with career stories. And of course, I've been reading about yours. And what I noticed is, is that your bio seemed to talk less about what you do and more about what you stand for. So it's it's hard to sum up your multifaceted career. Could you tell us how you might describe your career and how you got here? You know, I love that observation. I've actually never looked at it that way, but um, I, I do believe you're right. Um, you know, I have had a, a, a various and uh, changing career over the last 30 years of my adult life, starting out actually as a lawyer um, and then leaving that behind, moving into the world of fitness and entrepreneurship and then moving that, leaving that behind. And I was in the world of yoga for a while and then writing and speaking and, um, and media for the last decade or so. But there is a consistent through line with all of it, whether I have you know, been teaching yoga and owning a facility in New York City, whether I have been creating books or brands or companies or podcasts, the central theme in all of it is an impulse to make things that move people. And that is, it's actually what I call the maker impulse. And for me, that has been the through line since from my earliest days, from the time I was a little kid, you know, long before I was paid for anything, or we called it a career, that was the impulse that drives me and it continues to this day. So, you know, I wake up in the morning and I think there's something that I can create. There's something that I can make. And if I can make something that then turns around and goes out into the world and in some way, shape or form interacts with people and moves them in a way, emotionally, intellectually, somehow makes a difference in the way they step into their lives all the better. Well, this takes us right into your book. I want to talk about your podcast before we leave today, but um, you've just plunged us right into your new book, Sparked, Discover Your Unique Imprint for Work That Makes You Come Alive. And um, it's got a fascinating and free personal assessment. And it sounds like you were talking about yourself the way makers are described in your book is is understanding yourself as a maker part of what encouraged you to create an assessment for other people yeah you know it, it absolutely is and it's an extension of that through line so i have for the last really two decades i've had this deep fascination with just human beings and how we step into our world, how we step into our relationships, how we step in, step into work in a, a way that both contributes meaningfully 
but also gives us that feeling that we so often want. You know, we want to feel alive. We want to feel like we have a sense of meaning around what we're doing. Like we can kind of lose ourselves in that magical state of flow. And, and we're excited and energized to wake up in the morning and do something and work hard purely for the reason that it gives us the feeling that we yearn for. And if we get paid to do it, that's awesome on top of it. And I started to wonder, you know, there seems to be so little of that happening. What are we missing? And what I start to see is that we spend a lot of time focusing on jobs, roles, titles, companies, industries, which are all important and all the other things that matter. But I started to wonder, are we missing a deeper impulse for work that would nourish us on a level, sort of a through line, the way that I described with my maker impulse? And if these impulses exist, could I identify them? Could I map them out and figure out, is there sort of a universal set of these that fuels all of us to wake up in the morning and work in a particular way just because it makes us feel alive? So that led to years of exploration and research and eventually identifying these 10 different impulses and a set of tendencies and behaviors and preferences that wrap around them and form archetypes that I call sparkotypes. And that really led to the work that you're talking about. We then spent about a year and developed this assessment, part because I wanted to help validate these ideas, you know, take them out of my head and, and out of the many conversations I'd have with people and see if we can get real data around this, and also to build a tool for people to interact with so you could fairly quickly discover what your sparkotype is. And over the last four or five years now, um, more than 500,000 people have completed this assessment, generating over 25 million data points. So we've got some really beautiful insights and validation, but also a tool that just sits out there in the world for anybody to take free of charge um, to help them identify what is my impulse? What is my sparkotype when I think about the way that I want to show up at work? Well, so the way this works is somebody uh, now can... Uh, have your book to get started with, as I did, and and get some background. And then you go online, and it doesn't take very long. You very uh, quickly can answer the questions that will lead to a, pre a prediction of what your sparkotype is. And then you can go back to the book and read the sections that um, uh, are relevant to you. And I I must say that I've been coaching for a while now. I've gotten familiar with a bunch of assessments. And over the years, I've gotten more cynical. I think sometimes they're overhyped and <laughs> over-responded to. So I started this kind of cautiously. Um, but as a my due diligence, I, I of course, um, did it. And I, I've got to say, I was blown away. I think that I'm at the stage of my life where I've put my retirement savings in place and decided to, I'd rather focus on things that are really rewarding. And uh, so I sort of have a um, career that is predicted by the spark type. But what was so amazing to me is you explained, um, you, you gave a, um, I, I guess, a frame for all the different kind of things that I'm doing. And you helped me realize, wow, I am really having fun. So it was mm -hmm. a great day for me to uh, to do the assessment. 
Oh, I, I love hearing that. And and thank you for laying out the process that way. It's actually very clear. I'm, I'm going to kind of, I think, run with the way you described it. Um, and, and I'm so glad that it resonated so powerfully with you. You know, what's really interesting is the, the feedback that we tend to get from both the assessment and the book is really two things, and they're simple. One is a sense of validation. You know, like, I have just had reflected back to me something that I have known to be true about myself, probably since I was a little kid. But for many people, they've either walked away from it or stifled it or been told it's not an appropriate thing to build effort around or to think about as a career or even a side devotion. So they kind of, you know, stepped away from it. And and they you know, the response is, this actually let me know this is real. This is a powerful impulse. It's not going away. It's been with me my whole life. And I actually need to do something about it because stifling it or ignoring it or stepping away from it is causing a certain amount of suffering. And I don't want to feel that way anymore. And the other thing that we tend to hear, which I love, is that folks will say, you know, for the first time in a long time, I feel seen. And I have language to explain what's going on to me, both to myself, but also to others. And that may be to a partner that may be to a you know a, a friend or a family member. It may be to members of a team or a leader when you're working, but it helps give language to actually describe this is what's happening inside of me. This is the impulse that really makes me come alive when I work in a particular way. And also, this is what's happening to me when the work that I'm doing is not aligned with this impulse, which causes a whole another set of uh, struggles. Well, one of the things that bothered me a bit talking about struggles is that the trouble with assessments generally, and it could happen here, is that people read the assessment, they say, "Uh aha, that's me, but my life is ruined because I'm trapped into the job I have now, the life I have now. And you, you did comment later in the book that you don't have to like change everything right now or just be unable to do anything, that lots of times people can take the awareness that comes from this and and sort of gradually, little at a time, uh, find um, a better alignment between um, their sparkotype and, and the work lives that they create for themselves. Can, can you talk a little bit about how people might be able to do something like that? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, um, you're so right. Uh, you know, a lot of times when people have some sort of deep insight about themselves, especially in this context, which you know reveals this impulse for work that makes you come alive. And then you look at the work that you're doing and you say to yourself, oh, wow, I, I'm, I actually don't do a whole lot of this in my current work. And maybe that also really explains why I'm not satisfied with it. There can be this impulse to say, you know, I, I, I either feel incredibly trapped and I just have to suffer through this, or I just want to blow it all up and walk away and start fresh because this is, I just can't conceive of doing this another minute now that I know. And I think both options tend to be pretty extreme and not the recommended first, second, or even third step in. You know, I think the great news here is that anybody can take this new bit of insight And then look at the work that they're currently doing and say, huh, okay, so it's not exactly giving me the opportunity to express this impulse, which is really important to me to let my sparkotype show up at work. But how can I reimagine what I'm doing? How can I potentially look at different tasks, 
different processes, different tools, different projects, different ways to interact with what is on the surface, the exact same job description, but do it differently. And what people start to find, and I'm guessing you've seen this in your work also, coaching people, is that when you come to your work with this new lens and you say, okay, let me not be bound by the way I've done this in the past, and let me not even be bound by the job description. Let me look at it fresh and see where are the opportunities to express this impulse. Inevitably, they start to find dozens and dozens of tiny ways that they can express it throughout the day, throughout the week, throughout the month. And as they do that, it starts to transform the way that the very job that was emptying them out was making them feel, and it becomes so much more nourishing. So what we've seen is that you can actually reimagine and reshape what you're doing without leaving anything, without feeling like you're stuck and you can't actually you know, do anything with this knowledge. And it's a really powerful insight to know that you actually have this power to reimagine and reshape because it gives you agency no matter what your circumstances are. I, I understand um, exactly what you're saying. It's something that um, actually I talk about in my brand new book, um, Find Your Happy at Work. So often it's about mindset. When you have a negative limited mindset, you filter out so many cues, so many opportunities, so many bits of data, because you only take in the things that are consistent with your negative mindset. But if you take control of that, find ways to nurture yourself and be more positive, you haven't changed your job at all, but everything changes because you spot little opportunities, you spot spot ways to, to make tiny steps, right? Yeah, no, I completely agree with that. I love the way that you framed it. There, there is some interesting research around this as well, you know. And what what tends to happen with this is as we we sort of ease our way into more of this mode where we do start to feel more of a sense of meaning, like oh, I'm having more of a chance to do the thing that that wakes me up in the morning and energizes and excites me and gives me a sense of purpose. And the more that we do that in little bits, not only are we more fulfilled and and happier, but we start to carry ourselves differently. We are, our state changes in a way that is actually um, palpable. People around us feel it. You know, if you if you walk into an office setting or these days a you know a, a video uh, a conference or meeting setting, and you can sense if somebody is really engaged and alive and lit up by what they're doing and excited to be there. We'll be back with Bev after this brief message. Are you ready to make a difference in the world? The Voinovich School of Leadership and Public Affairs at Ohio University can give you the skills to do just that. The school offers a multidisciplinary approach where public policy, environmental studies, and entrepreneurship come together to educate tomorrow's leaders. Learn more about the Master's in Public Administration or Environmental Studies by visiting ohio.edu backslash School. Well, that brings us to the the broader um, platform that you have and that helps people explore little things they can do and little things they can um, 
become more aware of as they uh, explore it. And that's the Good Life Project. It, it's a podcast, but it's also an interesting platform with experiences and an effort to build a community. And sometimes you're even called the Good Life Guide. Can you can you tell us about what the Good Life Guide does to build community and how your platform works? Oh, indeed. You know, the Good Life Project was something that we conceived and and birthed in 2012, actually. So we're going on almost a decade. And in the beginning, you know, we thought about it as we were actually filming video on location. So we wanted to create um, media that would share conversations with what I call embodied teachers, people who aren't just sort of talking about or writing about living a good life. But if you look at the way that they're living, they actually the way that they're living tells you that they, they know something. And I want to be able to sit down with those people and then record conversations and share them with a sense of community and with the world. So we started filming those and then eventually switched over to the podcast. And we've been, uh, you know, the Good Life Project podcast for many years now. Um, but I didn't want to stop there. You know, I love, the maker in me loves to create things. So we created media and conversations. But I also wanted to bring together a community around this shared ethos of really exploring what does it mean to live a good life. And I also know that, you know, one of the biggest things that many people struggle with these days is finding like-minded people and having a sense of community. So I wanted to find a way that we could bring together people. And this wasn't just me, by the way, you know, this is, this is a team of people that are, that are behind all of it. So when I, when I, I say I, I'm really talking about a group of people and we bring together people so that we create events and experiences. And they have been as intimate as six people sitting around a table for three days in a foreign country. They have been as big as 450 people taking over a 160-acre kids' sleepaway camp after all the kids leave and having a four-day adult summer camp where we have all sorts of experiences really designed to let people drop the facade and open up and be vulnerable. Because what, what we've learned is also that people really struggle to find new friends, especially later in life, in the middle and later seasons of life. And we wanted to create a safe container with a shared set of values for anyone to step into and find those amazing relationships that would really carry them even after they stepped back out of that container. They sort of would carry the container back and expand it into wherever they were. So over the years, we've built this beautiful uh, set of experiences, this really beautiful, warm, big-hearted community and very fortunately, um, a, 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 a large audience or a large community around the media that we produce, mainly these days in the form of the Good Life Project podcast. It sounds wonderful, but of course, not many people can uh, participate in the actual gatherings of the camp and so forth. But I think you're providing a model that other people can use in creating more community. Now, we all know, as you said, particularly as people get older uh, and sometimes feel like they can barely see their current friends, they don't want to waste time making new ones. As, as they get older, creating um, community and diverse set of relationships is increasingly important. And it's really an important part of living a full life. So let's say we have listeners out there who are inspired by what you're doing and what you just said, and who want to create some events or to change up the events they already have to 
have more of that sharing and authentic discussion and warmth that you just described. Do you have any suggestions on how people could take your model and, and, and try it out in a small local way? Uh, yes, I uh, absolutely. We have so many of them. Um, I want to comment really quickly, though, on the language you just used, which is to bring together a diverse community. And I think in the moment that we're in right now, that is so important that we want to be in community with people who like very likely share our values and maybe similar lens on life. And at the same time, we want to be in, in relationship with people from all walks of life where we can actually share our unique life experiences, our lens, our stories, our beliefs, and have conversations in a safe space, sometimes on things that we don't agree with, sometimes with people who come from very different backgrounds than we do. So we've thought about this a lot over the years and tried to figure out like how do we create mechanisms that allow anybody to step into a relationship without feeling a little bit awkward or uncomfortable, especially I'm an introvert. So I know if I showed up at you know any kind of experience like this, I would be a little uncomfortable and I would so appreciate if someone would kind of take me by the hand and give me a way to step into a conversation with people that I don't know. One of the things that we've done um, in the past, which is kind of fun that um, I, I'll i share with you is, well, I'll share two things, two different things that we've created with people. One is what we call bunk bonding. Now, now this happened when a dozen people would show up from around the world and get put into a, a kid's bunk where they would sleep for four days. But the truth is you could use this on a video call for you know a handful of people that are showing up for the first time. You could use it um, you know in a local gathering. Um, you could use it at a dinner party, to be honest with you. And essentially what you're doing is just you create six to ten questions and allow everyone to go around the table. And you might start fairly surface level in the beginning. Tell me about your favorite X or your favorite meal when you were a child. Um, and then and then what you want to do is as people circle around, you start to invite people to get a little bit more open and a little bit more vulnerable so that you might end up you know, going a little bit deeper. Like, tell me about um, an experience you've had over the last year where things didn't work out the way that you thought they would. And what we know about building relationships is we tend to be really protective. We tend to only want to show the best of ourselves. And Social media is a great example of that, but friendships don't happen that way. Real friendships, real relationships happen with what we call mutual progressive vulnerability. So it has to be not just one-sided, that's the mutual part. Progressive, meaning it's fine to start sort of service level with small talk, that's what most of us do, but we have to progress down to being more open and then eventually more vulnerable because it's the vulnerability, the shared vulnerability that builds really beautiful and lasting relationships that move the needle in our lives. When I'm working with clients who agree in theory that it's good for their career and good for their life to have a more broad and diverse network, but uh, they're afraid to do it, one of the things I suggest is that they start uh, becoming a little more comfortable with feeling uncomfortable but they do it in a very small way so that maybe they're in a, 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 a situation where they feel pretty comfortable. It could be their church or their lunch group or the coffee shop. And in that comfortable situation, they do something that feels a little hard, like asking somebody about how they feel about um, 
something that's happening in the community or asking somebody uh, about their own lives and just kind of push yourself a tiny little bit into a discussion that feels uncomfortable and discover you survive it and it makes it easier next time. Have, have you played with that kind of teaching people to get a little more comfortable and pushing forward slowly to be um, okay with that sense of, oh, I'm going too far? Mm, yeah, absolutely. I think that's a great approach. We, um, you know, stepping into a space of discomfort is, is generally where all the best stuff in life happens, you know, because the only way that you can really be a hundred percent comfortable or a hundred percent certain is if you have done something before, or you're replicating something that somebody else has done before. And that includes starting a new relationship or having a conversation and you know that may make you feel safe and at ease, but it also kind of removes the opportunity for depth of relationships. It removes the opportunity for growth. You know, it, it basically locks you into a safe stasis. And that is not a good life. A good life involves people and relationships and love and dynamics and growth. So sometimes I, I completely agree. Sometimes we have to trade a bit of discomfort in the name of stepping into a space of growth. So I, I, I have found that absolutely, um, similarly to the experience that you described. I have had a number of careers and uh, reinventions along the way. And I'm a, I think a born is a very cautious person. So early on, what I had to ask myself is, is this scary because it's dumb and dangerous and I really shouldn't do it? Or is it scary because it's something I really want, but I'm afraid I'm gonna fail? Mm. and kind of calibrating how much tolerance I have for failure in this context. Maybe I could mitigate it. Maybe I could do something a little smaller as a first step is sort of how I go at it. And so now when I get that sense, that little bit of fear, I think, oh, I'm on to something here. This could be exciting. Um, and so I try to change the voice in my head to talking about, all right, how can I get this started? Not, oh my God, I got to wait I have to get away from this. You know, it's a, it, it is a good um, way for me to manage getting comfortable uh, with things that are not inherently comfortable for me. Yeah, I, I so agree with that. In fact, I feel the same way. If, if I'm trying something new, even if it's something small, and I don't feel that tiniest little sense of, ooh, this is a, a, a just slightly edgy. I'm pushing past my comfort zone. If I don't feel that, um, I wonder whether it's actually worth doing to me because I'm, I'm kind of thinking to myself, am I invested or are the stakes really high enough for this to matter to me? And, and I think that actually brings up another really important element in this conversation, which is that we tend not to be fearful of stepping into a place of uncertainty or the unknown or unease when the stakes of any situation are low. We're, we're pretty good with that because, you know, the the loss of status or ego or reputation or money, whatever it may be, when that's really, really, really low, we're okay taking action when things are uncertain. We don't know if it's going to work or not or how it will be perceived. But as the stakes rise, that's where everything changes. You know, and um, we want to put ourselves in situations where the stakes rise. But if you really struggle with that, a great sort of uh, approach is to say, okay, there's this thing I want to do. Let's say um, there is a person that you want to build a relationship with. You know, 
you could base and, and it's a it's a person who you you like either personally in your life you really admire and you would love to eventually have them become a mentor to you you know instead of saying which is kind of terrifying for somebody i'm going to make this person my mentor i'm just going to walk up and do this and and we're going to walk away and that person is going to be my mentor She's, she'll be my mentor and take care of me which is terrifying for a lot of people you know what i say is chunk the stakes yeah like how can we take that and and break the stakes into the smallest little pieces so that we can attach baby steps to a little, we get a little bit closer to that goal where the stakes are a little bit lower. And then we take the next step. So when we chunk the stakes down and take baby steps where each step only has a little bit of that big stake in it, it allows us to step into that process a lot more easily. So let's say we have a listener out there who now is all inspired and um, they want to be more like you and they want their own work life to come alive. Um, Are there things that they could do today and maybe baby steps to start moving in that direction? Yeah, absolutely. So there's so many, you know, one of my big beliefs is that when we start to look at, you know, how can we, how can we step into the world in a way where we can work, where we can invest energy and that may be our job, it may be our role, it may be our devotion in a way that gives us that feeling that we want. Um, you know, you can you can look at the outside circumstances and that's what most folks do. But I think the first step in, the easy first step in, the better first step in is to look at your inner world. It's about self-discovery. We tend to want to discover all the opportunities that exist outside of us before we actually ask ourselves the questions that would allow us to really understand what fills us up and what empties us out. So my, my advice would be um, to actually start on the inside, not on the outside. Start with a process of self-discovery and increasing self-awareness. So of course, you know, the spark type assessment and the spark work is, is a part of that. I think it's a really healthy thing to discover your impulse for work that makes you come alive and then extend beyond that. You know, there wonderful other assessments or tools or working with coaches, working with therapists, working with even talking to, you know, like uh, uh, people in your community or family members where you ask questions where it's really about yourself. Who am I? What's important to me? What do I care about? You know, what is meaningful to me in the world? What are my values and beliefs? What are my preferences and tendencies? Where do I really flourish and where do I get tripped up? So the sparkotypes are a part of that. But I would think, you know, for a great first step in for anybody, focus inside first. Really focus on self-discovery before you then turn out to the world because you can't understand where the alignment is between you and the world or things you would say yes or no to until you actually know who you are. That is excellent advice. Jonathan, thank you so much for being here today. I just want to remind people that your new book is Sparked and uh, the, the podcast and your wonderful platform is The Good Life Project. And you have lots of wonderful ideas and opportunities to share. So I, I hope people will explore them. Mm, thanks so much for having me on. It's been a pleasure. Today, we've been talking with Jonathan Fields about how to find a path to work that will make you come alive. This podcast is produced by WOUB Public Media. Adam Rich is our audio engineer. I'm your host, Bev Jones. 
If you want to thrive in your career, I hope you'll also check out my new book, Find Your Happy at Work. Today's tip is that changing your career often starts by getting rid of some of the choices and habits that drag you down. Do you have some baggage that you want to let go today? Thanks for listening. Please do tell your friends about us and please come back soon. Thank you.